You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down, yeah. Happy Saturday. It's Greg Hill from the Minority Trailers a Podcast tuning in. Yo, special edition episode. I just felt in my spirit to drop. Plus, he's going to be on national television on Tuesday, premiering something brand new. This is a world premiere. One of the best deepest, realest podcast episodes, and honestly, they ain't a two-hour episode, too. It's like an hour and like 10, so you're going to be able to rock and vibe. A couple housekeeping things. Remember, make sure you subscribe, share with a friend, share a friend to a friend. Make sure you make sure you go to greggyhill.com backslash MTP live for the tour dates. We're hitting Charlotte first, then D.C., Atlanta, Houston, Texas, and ending with Brooklyn, New York. So make sure you come come rock with us. Live podcast, interviewing amazing guests. And we're going to have a Thrive event after to really grow and build with everybody. And also in these cities, you're going to have an opportunity to ask me anything you want about podcasting, book, and all that on a VIP lunch beforehand. So I can't wait to touch the city, let it know where it's at. But I ain't going to hold this heat rock any longer. Let's get into the show. Side note, that, hey, yo, that voice sounded deep, right? <laughs> Welcome to the Minority Troublemaker Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Eel, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And I want to start the show off by saying this show is incredibly, incredibly important to me. Um, it's it's is know it's going to be groundbreaking. And the reason why it's so important, because the individual that I have, first and foremost, is an honor to have him on the show, what he, what he's done for the culture, what he's done for um, his, his profession, and what he's done for me personally, man. I mean, going into A&T, many of you know my story. Um, joined um, fraternity sophomore year. And the reason why is because uh, they had valedictorians. They had people that kind of paved the way that were phenomenal leaders, very charismatic, but just did real stuff. And... The reason how how I got into the fraternity was through a man named Jonathan McCoy, man. I saw him at a, a honor society meeting and he was just so phenomenally like deep and talented. And I got to talking to him and I was like, yo, so how did, why did you join the frat, man? Because sometimes you in like fraternities in high school, in college, you just see a certain type of demographic, specifically alpha. Um, but, and one of his main reasons was, uh, he said, Oh, Howard Kanye's. I was like, well, Who's Howard Kanye's? And after doing my research, man, and just the impact that he had on North Carolina A&T and just to see his growth over the last like seven to 10 years has been so motivational, so aspirational. And every single time I've ever had a conversation with him, he just spoke life and most importantly spoke life, but he lived life to the fullest in so many different aspects. And I know he is going to give a huge, huge value add 
to the listenerships. This is a special episode, back-to-back podcast, and I really just can't wait to share his story and his narrative because we're talking about, and I'm going to get into his bio. I ain't going to steal the thunder of the bio of him, but we're talking about a rocket scientist. We're talking about a pit master. We're talking about there's so much more depth to him and the stuff that he can provide, and he's set at the feet of some of the, the world's greatest thought leaders. I'm talking about John Hope Franklin. I'm talking about some of the the world's finest um, just educators, mentors, leaders that have changed the world. So I just can't wait to jump into this interview. I'm going to read his bio. Mind you, this is probably going to be the the, li- the longest bio that I've ever read on the Minority Troubles uh, podcast, but I have to because this this this, this man um, has done and been able to do so, so much for the culture and has so much more left to give. Plus, he is going to be world debuting on national TV cooking channel, Man Fire Food, this Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Have a show. I'm going to jump into his bio, and then we're going to get right into it. So, in 2009, at the age of 27, he earned a doctorate in mechanical engineering from Duke University, making him one of less than 20 African Americans in the country to earn this degree. He completed his undergraduate studies at from North Carolina A&T State University. Long before all of the educational training, he proved his father at the age of 11 that he was ready to continue the family and community tradition of South Carolina whole hog barbecue by cooking his first pig alone at 11 years old. A lot of pressure for a kid, especially with family members judging in Paxville, South Carolina. We're going to get into that. Paxville, South Carolina, break that whole down. By day, he makes use of his Ph.D. by working as an engineer at NASA Space Center since 2009. And I remember growing up, everybody said, you could be a rocket scientist. And he's the first person I ever met that was really, I knew that was really a rocket scientist. It was always crazy to me. And by night and weekend, he is equally impressive. And what makes him sought out nationally, one of which he has noted, traditional South Carolina whole hog barbecue pit master. That's what he does. That's his gift. That's his talent. And he has used this tradition as a platform to host educational dinners on South Carolina barbecue, a Creole and Gullah family reunion, and most recently, a Singalese cuisine, where he invites noted culinary experts like Benjamin Dennis, Pierre Thom, and Vance, how do you say his last name? And Vance Frokoson, like I don't even, this is, I can't even pronounce these guys' names. And he's been featured in publications including Southern Living, Daily South, the New Orleans Magazine, The Advocate, and the New Orleans Times. I don't even know how to say it, and that's just to name a few. He's also a fellow of the National Food and Beverage Foundation. And beyond cooking, he was recognized in 2016 as a Next City Vanguard as one of the 40 of the best and brightest young urban leaders under 40 in the nation. Currently resides in New Orleans with his wife, Catherine, and his two boxers, Aggie and Lily Rose. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my brother, rocket scientist, pit master, I will say it, legend, Dr. Howard Conyers to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Greg. It's my honor and pleasure to be here. I told you a long time ago, I saw you doing great things and I just want to be a part of it at some point in time. Hey, man, it just it works out perfectly. And it's just to see 
because I remember, I remember when you was just selling throws, like you was a rocket scientist and you were selling throws and that whole, the whole business concept, concept 17. And just to see you double down. Cause I'm, when you started, I saw the first picture of a pig. I was like, what is he doing? Like he's a rocket scientist. Like why, why does he have a pig in his profile? Like, so I'm just excited to really dig deeper into your backstory, where this all came from, but also share some practical tips because we have a lot of students that, that listen to this podcast. We have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast. So for the parents, some, some things that they can kind of do with their children because let's not forget you're a valedictorian. Let's not forget you're a 4.0 all in college and, and all this other stuff. So we can get- man, you can let that stuff go, man. That stuff don't matter. It, it don't matter to you, but there's students and there's parents that listen to this that they need some practical stuff to kind of help their child. And also you're a hybrid because you did all the practical stuff in academia, but also you're fulfilling your passion and your and your 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 purpose and and things of of that nature. So that's why this this interview is going to be so so critical. So I never we don't let's not rush over the academia part because that's a yeah, it's easy for you to say, but there's some people that need to hear some practical stuff on how you were able to cultivate that type of mindset. So to set the text of uh, of where we're going with this interview, we're gonna just. Go go through it. We're going to start off origin story. Then we're going to hit the Duke PhD lessons learned. Talk a little bit about his experience living with and working under, um, not working under, but working with John Hope Franklin. Then talk about NASA. Then we're going to get to the sweet spot as far as cooking and what you got in store for us on Tuesday, man. But as you already know, on each show, we start off with a quote in the story. So, Dr. Kanyas, um, can you tell us a quote that you live by in a story about how you apply that quote to everyday life? The quote I live by right now is remember the sacrifice of the people who came before you to help get you where you are and remember from where you come from. Don't ever forget. You're not here by happenstance. It's people who went through a whole lot more than you for you to better sit on these particular platforms. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my quote. Mm. So so what when you think of that quote, what situation can you can you cope to when you just when you, like when you kind of were in a time where you were like, man, I'm I'm doing great now. This And then it kind of reminds you like, yo, this ain't this ain't you didn't just create this because you were smart and just because you worked hard. It was because of X, Y and Z. Like, when did that really hit you? Because, I mean, a lot of us go through that in times because, I mean, it's easy in this society. Be like, hold on, I'm winning right now. I'm doing a lot. I grinded. This is what I deserve. And then you kind of can forget. So wh- what was the moment that you were you had to remind yourself of that? So actually, I, I lived by that moment, that quote, for a while. Mm-hmm. But this past spring, I went to Delaware State University. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize I kind of grew up less than like five miles from where part of my family was enslaved. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents were sharecroppers. One grew tobacco, one grew cotton. And my parents picked tobacco and they picked cotton by hand. Mm-hmm. But I sat down with my great aunt in Baltimore, Maryland, and she told me, All I ever wanted to be was a third grade teacher. And then she said, I left South Carolina because I was tired of picking cotton at age 21. And that right there humbled me more than a lot of experiences in my life. When my great aunt told me, she said she was tired of picking cotton at 21 years of age. Wow. And I tell you, I, I said my parents picked cotton. So that's not too many years before me. Mm by hand not by no this is not like no far-fetched but saying we had big machinery to pick cotton they were picking cotton and tobacco by hand my aunt told me she picked 300 pounds of cotton a day 
some days. Wow. Man. And then to now, it's like, that's that's deep. So on that same vein, on that same vein, let's stay in that pocket. Can you share your uh, with our audience and with me, because it's my first time here, kind of your origin story before high school, before Duke, before this rocket scientist, before all of this. Like, Take us back to South Carolina. Take us back to you growing up, man. So I grew up in South Carolina, little area called Paxville, South Carolina, home branch area, just outside of Manning. Um, I grew up on the family farm. My father was a welder. My mom was a social worker. But through that, through agriculture, I understood. I learned what science, technology, engineering, mathematics was about in practice, Mm -hmm. not even theory. I knew the applications of it, but I didn't know the theoretical aspects. And um, say, for instance, this whole barbecue, and we'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. Like, as a child, we used to slaughter pigs before we barbecue. Mm-hmm. Imagine holding a warm heart in your hand after you slaughter this pig. Wow. So you see things, maintaining the garden on the farm, you understand how to apply fertilizer mm-hmm. to get your greens to grow or get your corn to grow. Like, I, I saw people talk about genetically modified foods. Mm-hmm. I saw when Roundup Ready beans and Roundup Ready corn made it to the market, mm-hmm. when it made it to the farmers. Because my father would spend like $150 per bag of corn to plant. And I'm like, why do these, why these seeds cost $150 per bag, per like 50 or 60 pound bag? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw my, my father also grew sweet potatoes. We grew the sweet potato variety that we kept in our family for like 40 years. Wow. And it was passed down for somebody else in our community. Mm-hmm. And it just showed to me how the community passed on traditions without even knowing they passing on something so great mm-hmm. and work together. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the basis of who I am. Like I'm I'm resting on the steps of people in my community who came before me, my family, my church family. And I just it's just I'm thankful to be where I am a lot. And I work hard because I know that those people where I'm from, they sacrificed a lot before I could be where I am today. And were your parents educated? Like, what was your parents educated? Do you have any siblings? So my parents, my mom went to college. She went to Voorhees College. Mm-hmm. And my father, he was high school educated. Mm-hmm. Um, my One of my grandfathers had a third grade education. And my other grandfather, he had 11th grade education, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But it, it made it important that each generation get a better education. Mm-hmm. They forced that on us. My brother, he's a he's college educated. He's a principal in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Man, man, man. Not to get too far ahead, but this is just jumped in my head. I, I want to ask though. You said to do more, but I mean, God willing, if you have if you if you have a kid, like what what when you're a rocket science, you already got a PhD. Like what 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 are you what are you leaving for your kid to do? <laughs> I just when we have kids, I want my child to be. I'm not going to put my accolades out in front of my child. If you know me, Greg, like I was never one to share my accolades with you all. You all kind of heard about it from other people, but I never shared it with you. And correct me if I'm wrong, I never no, really you never, bragged about you, it. I you like talked this. about books, talked about your throws. We, you never <laughs> got as hip to what you were really doing. Like I knew like you did some real stuff, but it just, it didn't seem even possible. Honestly, I'm like, rock like, that's not even real. Like you just, just uh, and then. It's just, yeah, you would never, never the type like, hey, guys, well, this, hey, this is Dr. Congress. I sit under John Hope Franklin. Like, that was not, never your your, your your stuff. 
No, that, that was never my thing. And so I think I just want to make sure I made a pour into my kids something that uh, was poured into me. Mm-hmm. Tradition, community, remember where you come from, where you got to go. And I just want to put him on a platform to make sure he's ready for the world. But how, how, so you, so your dad, um, high school educator, your mom did, did college. But what, as a kid, like, what did you inspire to be? Like, what, like, what motivated you? Like, what was, like, outside of your examples, of course, with the community, um, hard work, integrity, soft skill stuff, like, what was your vision as a kid growing up in South Carolina? Because I've been in, I've drove down South Carolina. South Carolina is not the most friendly place. So, like, what, what, did, what kind of stuff did you do? Like, because I just want to kind of get inside your head as a kid. To kind of... Honestly, Greg, I didn't really have, like, where I'm from in South Carolina, a lot of, a lot of opportunities for exposure. I didn't know what engineering was. All I ever knew in life is that I was good at math and science. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. I didn't really learn what an engineer was until my 11th grade year of high school. Mm-hmm. We didn't have boys or girls clubs. My my boys and girls club was maybe driving a tractor mm-hmm. on a weekend, um, maintaining the garden, doing stuff like that. We played sports. We played football, basketball, those type sports. But... Um, all I ever knew in life, I want, I want to do something math and science related. Mm-hmm. And I think the moment, the pivotal moment in my life, I used to see my father work long hours, 30 to 40 hours. A, well, he used to work 40 hours a week, but then sometimes he'll work on the weekend overtime as a welder. And I like, I'm listening to him talk and I'm like, man, he's a very smart man. Mm-hmm. And when I saw his work ethic and I saw his ability, I was like, geez, I could take something I have that ability within me. I just need to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Not not to get a PhD, but just to just just take it to the next level and see how far I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nah. And in high school, because we're about to get to college real quick, but in high school, like, what did you do? Because I always talk to my high school students, and I'm like, yo, it's about what you do in your free time. It's about kind of the people you hang around with, what you do. That kind of creates who you will become. So what kind of stuff did you do in your free time, or what type of people did you hang around with in high school? I hang around a variety of different people, honestly, like um, it just I really I spent a lot of time around my father. Once I got in high school, like I ended up quitting playing sports because one thing I realized in the South, we put a lot of emphasis on football. And I saw my brother. I thought he was a good athlete. I thought he was a great athlete. And he didn't get the opportunities that I think he should have got provided. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I said, well. I got something else I could use. And I said, I use my head. I made the decision after ninth grade to leave sports alone mm-hmm. because it just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> nah, nah, I feel you on that. And what did you do with your free time? You just, were you around more so your dad, older people? Were you around like yeah, high school? I probably, I mean, a lot of, a lot of my free time on weekends and stuff, I spent around my dad just trying to actually, I was, once I got in high school, a lot of people didn't know I was really kind of like, perfecting my craft of barbecue by that point. I mean, I had already started perfecting it, but uh, I just got more into the tradition and agriculture and just, I used to collect some, I used to collect antiques and stuff. I used to spend a lot of time going to auctions. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I could understand the past. And I know we're going to get there later in the show, but since we're already in that space, at 11 years old, you did your first like hog. So break us down. Like, why was that big for you? Like, what what, what was so huge and fundamental? And why was that like so such that had to be in a, your bio at 11 years old? You did a hog. I think people cook whole hogs at like 30 and 40 years old per Google instructions. 
to me, me proving to my father that I had the skill and the ability to cook a hog was that's a real test. Mm -hmm. And to have your family judge it, your family will talk, at least my family, I can't talk about your family, but mm -hmm. my family would talk bad about you if you don't deliver. Oh, hey. They'll be yeah. supportive, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they will talk about you. At 11 years old, they'd be like, hey, yo, hey, Howard, that, that ain't you. At 11, they would talk about you? Yeah, that, you're like, you got some work to do. <laughs> nah. I mean, they're just real. My, my family is straight up. No, nah, I, I, I feel that. I feel that. And I can't wait to kind of double back later in the show on that, man. But all right, let's get into college, man. College, North Carolina AT, is that the only school you apply for? Actually, I applied to uh, Clemson and a lot of other UGA and like uh, almost I was really, ready to go to Clemson. And, mm -hmm. But Clemson didn't have a, didn't give enough money. And my father was like, you got a full ride in North Carolina AT, you going to AT. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And real quick, real quick, because I missed, I missed something, because we do have a lot of parents who listen to this podcast. So if you, let's go back to high school. If you can give some advice right now, imagine that you're talking to some parents right now and try to give, because they're like, my kid, um, I'm struggling with him. I don't know if, I don't know how to, to push him academically. I don't know how to just get him involved and engaged. What would be a couple nuggets that you would lay on them from your experience and what you kind of see? I mean, because you talk at schools, but also what you see from a high level as far as working with your passion hog and then working at in, in freaking national like what kind of jewels would you drop on them i would say try to give your kids the tools to to succeed my parents in my particular case my parents couldn't help me at a certain point where my math and science homework and they said I, honestly i can't help you after about eighth grade mm -hmm. but if i need help make sure you have those things in place it don't need to buy a kid a hundred and fifty dollar pair of Jordans, and they can't do a math problem, mm -hmm. or they can't read a science book. Mm -hmm. There's no need. Mm -hmm. You're just setting that kid up for failure. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's kind of the core thing. Make, making sure they have the teachers. The core things. The core things, and just utilize. Because I was talking at a um, a graduation two days ago, and I think in Africa. And for the model that I've seen and when I've been talked to, there was a village. Everybody, everybody was a part of this village. Everybody, if one person was starving, everybody was starving. It was more a nurturing mindset. And I think in society, specifically for parents that are struggling, um, we're kind of, I'm not saying where, because they're like, hold up, Gio, you're not a parent. But I've seen it where they don't really ask other parents, if I see another kid and they're doing what they need to do, Asking them for help, like, hey, right now I'm struggling. Can you, can, can, can my child can be with your child? Can, like, I don't know what that looks like, but having that village mentality. So if you are of lack, find people that are doing it and just kind of just talk to them, be open and transparent. Like we're, we're all here to win together. And if you are doing well, bringing somebody along, of course, unfortunately, as a kid, you don't want to, you can't just bring everybody into your, your space. But I just feel like that village mentality for some reason is kind of getting lost in the culture and. In order for everybody to win and, and, and move forward, we need to kind of bring that stuff back. So if you don't have the resources and you don't know how to get the resources, having the the humility to ask. And this is for my entrepreneurs out there as well. This is for my change agents as well. If you need something, ask directly. Like I, I, I talked to a friend of mine the other day and um, for the for the conference, we're looking at sponsorships. So instead of me beating, long, beating around the bus, I say, God, I have it set up. What do I need to do to get sponsorships? I don't have that. I don't know that that realm. And I asked it directly. He's been able to lead me. But 
If you do not ask specifically and directly where you need to help you tell people, then nobody can help you out. So that's that's a little nugget right there. But yeah, and, no, but you got to go to the village. You got to you got to ask. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have it, you got to ask. Mm-hmm. Somebody knows that resource. Somebody knows that that point of contact. Somebody knows a English professor that could help your child. English teacher that could help your child write the. Learn how to become a better writer. Mm-hmm. My brother, I'm not going to share all the details about my brother, but my brother brother wasn't the greatest writer in the world. Mm-hmm. And to see him become a principal means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's big. That's big. So in college, man, valedictorian, 4.0. Like what, 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 how did you, how, like what was college, what was your college experience like? And what, what drove you to say, I'm going to dominate this? And then why did you even join the fraternity? So college, when I got a and honestly, I didn't know if I was going to make it. I mean, I didn't know if I had the tools to compete, to being, being from a very small place in rural South Carolina, mm. to compete with students from Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Georgia, Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, like all these major metropolitan areas. And I look at where I'm from, I like kids already had calculus, AP calculus, AP physics, AP chemistry. And I'm seeing some of this stuff for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I like I, I got to survive. I, I don't really have much to go back to. Mm-hmm. And I know my community is back here like, hey, we want to see you succeed. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't let I didn't want to let my, my community down. So like, yeah, I will go to work. I will go to class and I will study. I will study after class. I'll go to the, even freshman year. I'll go out on a party with you on Friday night. Mm-hmm. But Saturday morning, I was in the library. I was in Blueford. Mm-hmm. Sunday, I was in Blueford. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it like I lived in the library for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once the first and second semester got underway, like I started strong. I was like, oh, I could do this. Mm-hmm. My confidence is built. It's built. Like, but I started with a solid foundation because what I learned, and people ask me, like, how do you pull your GPA up? If you never let your GPA drop, <laughs> it's, e- it's easy to maintain that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want to stay right here for a second because it's crazy. I was talking to a young man. He's 13 years old. He actually was keynote at a graduation, but his parents were concerned because he he he, he lives in a rural he rural, rural place. He lives out there by East Carolina in Greenville. And I know a lot of people where, and you know it, rural places are 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 criminally underserved criminally underserved as far as resources. <laughs> they will continue to be criminally underserved. Why do you think that is the way? Like, since we're here, like, why do you think that is the way where the, the, those, they, they just kind of get left behind? From a tax base, there's not enough economic drivers to support that. Mm-hmm. Being from a rural place like I'm from and living now in New Orleans, you understand why the urban areas get a lot more attention because they have a if you start doing a lot of programs, think about the programming you want to do. Mm-hmm. You got a lot more numbers mm-hmm. in a small, concentrated area. Mm-hmm. You go to a rural place, you got three schools, three school districts in a county. Mm-hmm. You go to Durham, North Carolina, you and, and three high schools, three public high schools. You go to Durham, North Carolina, you might be got 15 high schools in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got more people to work with in a concentrated area. Mm-hmm. So just yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And and you're in your head, but luckily, New 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 Orleans, you would would you qualify New Orleans as a as a rural place? No, New Orleans is a, is a city. Mm-hmm. 
but it, it's a it's a city that's very different from the rest of the United States. But one thing I would say about New Orleans, New Orleans is a uh, it only has about four or five hundred thousand people in the city, mm-hmm. but it's not a big city. Mm-hmm. It's not like a Miami, Florida, or Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After a while, you kind of see it like you kind of know everybody. You you one degree of separation from a lot of people. Okay, okay, okay. but it, it's definitely a big city. And then. And let's let's go back to this college thing. So, well, you're in college. Why did you even choose a fraternity? Because I mean, by that time, because you crossed your junior year, right? I crossed my junior year. So by that time, you had already got a swing of things um, academically, and you probably had a couple internships under your belt, right? I had a couple of internships. I actually, when I went to NT, I was on a scholarship program called the USDA 1890 Scholarship Program, mm-hmm. okay. and that, that is how I got to NT. Mm-hmm. So you have that. You already got that. So why why even join a fraternity after that? Like, what was your core core reason? Uh, I think it was a a brotherhood experience for me to really challenge myself, and also a lot of my friends who was an engineer was either already became brothers or like I missed the opportunity the year before, and I I really understand what goes on in joining a fraternity. But I some of the men in the fraternity really exude what I want to be on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to do it differently. And I thought the fraternity would have been a great way to do it. Mm, mm, mm. That's great. That's great. So, all right, we did the fraternity. We got a 4.0 at a- at A&T. And then we're moving on to Duke. Before we move on to Duke, I do want to say, because I have a lot of college listeners, too. And I got a shout out to my Aggie listeners as well. A lot of HBCU um, listeners. So what are some tips? What are some real practical tips that students can use in college right now to really keep the keep the keep the future um, right in their sight, but also stay in the present and optimize their full college experience. One thing, if I had to redo college all over again, I wish I did the study abroad. Mm. Honestly, that's that's one thing from my undergraduate experience. I wish I had done. Um, two. Why? Why? Why study abroad? Like, why do you think that's critical? This, that's the college is one of the only points in your time where you can really go out here and do something and not be you have a safety net mm-hmm. per se. You you got something to go back to. You don't have a whole hopefully you don't have a whole lot of kids out here that depended on you. You basically only supporting yourself mm-hmm. and you get to see how the world thinks, not necessarily how the United States thinks. Mm. Mm. Uh, OK. Okay. What's so I of- highly recommend that as a college student, if you had the opportunity, I, that's that's the one area where I fell short. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's number two? I know you, I heard you had a number two. Number two, a GPA. You go into college, your GPA. You get your GPA up to start with. You do not wait till your junior and senior year to try to pull it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, number three, don't. I know HBCU. Sometimes people get very materialistic and things like that. Try to if you in the position to get scholarships, try to get scholarships and try to save some of that scholarship money. Um, try to be wise with your finances. Mm, that's that's huge because especially, and I know people that are listening, they can definitely agree that if you come from households where finance was taboo, I came from a household where you mean I ain't I ain't look at those overdue best bills, and we were still eating out of restaurants. I never understood. It. I'm like, yo, they're like we have we just we dodging like collectors' calls. But we'll go out to eat and stuff like that because I mean different priorities and whatnot. Different priorities, like we have to understand what our priority, like food wise, like you got a meal plan. Let's go to the calf. <laughs> Why we got to go to Arigatos? I think I didn't. I mentioned something earlier, Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, 
people don't believe may not all believe in God, but it's got to be some higher power that gets you where you are. You have to be like I know I the things I'm able to accomplish is not just my own ability. Mm, yeah, 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 man, that's that's huge. And and on that note, so you conquered college. Why did you choose Duke? Because I remember I was having a conversation um, about there was a strategic reason or a real reason and plain reason why you chose Duke rather than maybe getting your PhD at at A&T or some other university. So take us through your decision process um, uh, of why you chose Duke. Why I chose chose Duke? One, I I applied to a few different schools and I applied late because I wasn't really sure what was the, where I was going to school in the job market. And then, um, I visited these institutions and on the trip to Duke out of like Virginia tech, my professor, my end up, my PhD advisor said to me, send me your textbooks, send me a list of your textbooks. Mm-hmm. And something about that statement reson- resonated. His name is Dr. Earl Dow. He's mm-hmm. probably the world's most famous aerolistician in the world. Something about that statement resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Then when I got back to A&T, faculty members have to be careful what they share to their students. Mm-hmm. Dean of Engineering told me that students at A&T don't have a good track record at Duke or getting a PhD and getting out. Mm-hmm. I said to him, he said, you should go to someplace else where we have a more established relationship. Mm-hmm. I say, Dean, isn't I'm the didn't I just graduate the top? ranking engineering student at this university. Did not just win the Namaskar Award for not only academic excellence, but leadership excellence and community engagement. Why are you going to tell me I can't do this? And I say, well, the place I need to go is Duke University. Mm. To show that this can happen. Wow. I haven't really talked to that particular dean yet back in years. I haven't talked to him since, since Mm. that conversation. Wow. And then you just went out and do it. And I want to hone in because I want to get to NASA, but I want to hone in on your Duke experience because you had a once in a lifetime opportunity um, to be on the, 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 on the footsteps and really talk to and really be in the space of John Hope Franklin. So, Dr. John Hope Franklin, can you please share with the audience a little perspective and a backdrop of, of who he is and then also talk to your experience and what you learned um, being around him um, at, in Durham? Interesting question. So Dr. John Hope Franklin, in my mind, was the most, and he still is the most, I I look to him, the most respected African-American historian of this era. Nobody in this era comes close. Cornell West, Skip Gates, nobody comes close to the magnitude of Dr. John Hope Franklin, in my opinion. Um. I had a rare experience to work with what I would say work under Dr. Earl Dow, who is the world foremost aerolistician in this field. And then to be touched, touch the garments of Dr. John Hope Franklin, who's the most prominent African-American historian, not African-American. Let me, let me not say he's an African-American historian. He really is a U.S. historian. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm going to say this, Greg, is African-American history is U.S. history. Mm-hmm. African-Americans built this country. Mm-hmm. And so he's a U.S. historian and to touch and be able to learn under his tutelage or get his experience on life. 
I don't think I understood it at all, the impact back then. I mean, I was 26, 27 years old. Mm-hmm. I He was 90-something years old. I couldn't – all I could do was just try to take it all in and try to mm-hmm. stay mentally engaged. You know, like he challenged me to be not only – be a great scientist, but he also challenged me to understand world humanities because mm-hmm. you're dealing with people. Mm-hmm. Wow, man, that's 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 crazy. That's crazy. You had a job with him. You lived with him, didn't you? Yes, I lived with him. And I think it's it's probably gonna go over a lot of our viewers' head. But did, everybody, go do yourself a favor. Go if you don't go know, Google, Google John go Hope Google. Franklin. Yes, that's the best thing to do. Google Dr. John Hope Franklin. Mm. And, and and like I said, what was the number one outside of having a more um, a humane perspective? But what is the number one thing that you got during that experience? Dr. John Hope Franklin was the most hum- humil- humble person I ever met who had, to accomplish all the things he achieved in life. You would not have known he was so accomplished based on the awards he won when you sat down and talked to him. And I taught you just no matter what you do, no matter who you touch, whatever, just to always have that humility. Um, and, and but the thing is, the biggest thing, and I, I don't know, if I, I don't think I've ever asked that question. But why do you think humility is so important, though? Like outside of just um, to say it and say it, be humble. Like why do you why do you believe that's even important? Because some would say that, and like a, like a Jay Z would say, um, yo, I gotta show him, I gotta show him, I do this to let him know where it's at for the culture. So there's certain people that be like, yo, I gotta show him. Show them what I do, what I can do, so the culture can inspire to that, but also show other people, like, yo, we, we got it, too. So what's your take on humility? I think there's a fine line. You can showcase what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with showcasing what you're doing, but you shouldn't belittle somebody in the process because if you show too much, the other person may think it's just easy. Mm-hmm. And Jay-Z went through a struggle mm-hmm. to get where he at. Dr. Franklin went through a struggle. Tupac went through a struggle. Master P went through a struggle. When you when you flash when but you got to think about who sees they don't everybody don't see that struggle. You only see the end product. We see the nice cars. We see the we see what the videos. We see the big houses, but we don't see how that person got to that. Yeah, nah. And so nah. we don't see that work. Yeah, nah, and and since we're here, man, we might as well ask. Like throughout this journey before, um, before NAS, like what has been your biggest struggle? Because we're about to we're about to jump into NAS. We're about to jump into what you're doing now, and I want this audience to to really uh, to understand um, the 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 complexity and and just life. So, what, what what do you think has been your biggest struggle? I know that's a loaded question. Biggest struggle. That's a loaded question. My biggest struggle sometimes is something I work hard every day on is becoming a better writer, better, better use, better use the English language. But I guess my biggest struggle is not that. I think it's more so. I realize where we are in America. Um, Your viewers may not get this and I may not just say it, but. Blacks in America got to work really hard. Mm-hmm. We have a great gift, but everything is not going to be laid out for us like that. And you have to you have to go get what you want. It's there. The opportunity is there. You just got to go get it. Mm-hmm. 
And don't let nobody stop you because of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. And what would you say was the biggest and most important lesson you learned while getting your PhD um, at Duke? Because like I said, if I read in the bio, I want to repeat. At the time, there was less than 20 African-Americans in the country that earned a degree, a doctorate in mechanical engineering. And so, that, that was actually for that particular school year. So it's like about 20 PhDs come out in the school year for mechanical engineering. And that number hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The biggest lesson I think I learned at Duke was Duke taught me that how to be a real leader and that the world is bigger than just like you have a real response. You have something to change the world. I look at my A&T education and I, and I looked at like the student body. One thing I think A&T taught me and A&T taught me how to be a hard worker and potentially work for somebody. But Duke taught me this part about how to become a leader and you create opportunities for other people. So you can be in a position to write that big endowment check. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and let me, I'm going to give you an analogy. When students get out of school, some places, Oh, we're going to work at, in your case, you went to go work for GE. Mm-hmm. How many students went to go work for a startup? Mm-hmm. And if you go work for a startup, it, you might, the startup may fail. But if the startup is very successful, think about what is the, what is your bottom line? You may go from being a college student to being a millionaire in less than five years. Mm-hmm. Because you got in on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. GE, GE not going to allow you to get in that ground floor like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nah, nah, you hit it on the head. You hit it on the head. And before we jump, because I want I'm a transition to NASA, but I did I sense this up there and I know I just want you to be able to kind of flex your 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 mental muscle real quick. Your your thesis was on the effect of wing damage on aeroelastic behavior. Can you kind of break down like what does that mean? <laughs> oh, that's a previous life. But um <laughs> in, in, in layman's term when you watch an aircraft wing, the aircraft wing has to deflect. It has to go up and down a little bit. Mm-hmm. What I was studying is not that little bit of movement. I was studying the movement where that movement became like a large bird wing flapping because that structure is very rigid or solid mm-hmm. and not flexible. Therefore, if it if it flex like a bird wing, it'll break off. Mm-hmm. And I want to be under, I want to be understood at that time. What happened to a wing if it had damage and could it survive so you could land that plane? Mm. Mm. I'm going to leave that right there because I know we can get deeper, but I just I just want to break. That was interesting because I, I know I, I know we can go deep into that, but let's leave that right there. Uh, <laughs> so that's fine. So if we transition to NASA, like when did this whole when, where did NASA come from? And then to, from a from a, a wider perspective. Did you ever dream that you would really become a rocket scientist? I never dreamed I'd become a rocket scientist. My mom told me one time I wanted to go to space camp, but she said we couldn't afford to go. Um, honestly, US, how I got to NASA was USAjobs.gov, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but that's how I got to NASA. Mm. I and it, it wasn't where the location was. Well, it's not really that easy, but um, I figured like NASA was a good follow on to Duke. I mean, I had a couple of opportunities like Boeing and um, a couple of Air Force like laboratories, defense companies. But I said, well, NASA, you know, 
it was good. Nobody knew where I was going to work at outside at Stennis Space Center, but I think to get your foot in the door and I see where I could go, I figure once I get my foot in the door, if I want to be with NASA for a career, I could possibly go to different places. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just got to get your foot in the door. It may not be in the location where you want it to be. Like people think about NASA, they think about Kennedy Space Center in Florida, headquarters in D.C., or they think about Johnson in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. But I went where the door was open, and that was in South Mississippi. Mm, mm, mm. So what was your first day like on a the job there? Um, it was just kind of, it was kind of awestruck because you saw what they did with testing rocket engines. You say, wow, this is where all this happens at. This is, this is what really drives vehicles in outer space. When you got on the test stand and be able to see that hardware and you're like, you're providing the data and stuff like that to better help astronauts get out of space. That was kind of, it was, it was inspiring at the time. <laughs> at the time. When does it wear off that like after, like, what is it? Like after a month, you're like, yo, okay, this is my job. This is it. It's like, I'm not. I mean, you got a job to do, you know, at, at some point you realize you got a job to do and you just, you're here to do that job where my job was kind of as a, they hired me something called a structural dynamicist, which is essentially a structural engineer where you were just kind of making sure the facilities would be able to handle the magnitudes of the loads that those engines would have put on a facility mm-hmm. or a building. Because say for instance, you got an engine that has 500 pounds of 500,000 pounds of thrust and you got to hold that engine in place. It's not like you letting it go. Mm. Man. And it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say five to handle 500,000 pounds of thrust. And you got to hold it in place for five to 10 minutes. That's and and on that note, like what's the what was the coolest thing you have seen thus far? And I know you have like and because we don't have the, the the time to really talk on your real the projects you've worked on, the, the multi-billion dollar things you have been a part of. But what is the coolest thing you've seen thus far, like at NASA that you've been a part of? The coolest thing I think I've been a part of where like I worked on this team, I led this team where we developed these new high dynamic range video camera systems. Mm-hmm. Being able to make work on a technology development like that and see how it can impact the world is probably been the coolest thing I have seen in that, that I have been involved with intimately at NASA. Like what it, can you break it down? Like what that really is. So, so our audience can kind of visualize cause it's going to be hard to visualize. Cause I, even when you say okay, that. So imagine, imagine you're looking at a fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every, all my life story revolves around fire right now. <laughs> but um, imagine you look at a really bright fire and you can't really see the details in that fire. This particular camera technology development effort will allow you to see the structure of that fire, the details in that fire, how it's flickering, which way it's flickering, what's the brightest spots of that flicker. Hopefully that makes sense. Wow. Mm, that's that seems that's crazy. That's 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 an that's next level. And I know you've seen hidden figures, right? I seen hidden figures. So, what did you get from that movie? Because I mean, you probably have a different perspective, being that you actually worked at NASA and are a rocket scientist. But what did, what was your takeaways? When what did you leave feeling in that movie when you when you watched it? I loved that movie. Everybody in America need to see that movie: black, white, green, orange. My takeaway from that movie is we need to get more diverse people into NASA still today in all in all these STEM fields: science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. We need to get more people of color, more women. 
we we got to get more people like that into the field because diversity brings about a better solution when you do innovation. Yeah, no, nah, you hit it. You hit it right on the head. And I'm going to segue into because I have three. Um, I got more than three, but I, some people submitted some questions they wanted to ask you specifically. And one of the questions was, what impact, this is from Daryl Daniels, B, uh, not B, my bad, uh, PZ, uh, what impact do you see increased visibility of blacks in STEM having on the future demographics of STEM-related jobs? Like, They not only need to see us, but they need to see we doing things, and we got and we got to make it cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we just can't just be like being seen. We just can't be behind the desk. We got to be out here doing it, like mm-hmm. in the forefront, making things happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And I mean, we got to know our contributions. Because I see, like, I, even when I read your bio, um, the one I saw online, and it had, like, the the the, the whole scope of the projects you're working on. I said, man, if they really want to push a diversity initiative, it'd be cool to do a behind-the-scenes look with you <laughs> talking about the project, the, the scope on the project, and doing that rather than you just see you in, like, a, a lab coat. Like, that's cool. But getting inside that, because I have so many students, specifically at, like, Hillside High School and probably in science, that... They can see a picture and they can hear you talk. But if they look at the stuff you're working on and see, this is a guy from South Carolina. Like he has, you, you have a noticeable South Carolina draw. Like it's not like you're just, you're, you, cause I think you're, you're just this clean cut, this, this corporate looking guy. Like you're a rocket scientist, but you from the country and you own that. Like you, 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 you with the pigs. Like, so I think that is. Hey, a, I, I own, you, you know, I own that, Greg, cause I realize kids need to see that from the, they, people need to see that like I'm a real person. Like I'm going to tell you. You come hang out with me in New Orleans, like <laughs> that's what you're gonna see. You're not gonna see me suited up like that. Yep, yep, yep. And I had another question. This is actually from Surf Man. He said, "Can you comment on the flat Earth theory?" I don't know if that's your space, but uh, that's not my space. <laughs> As a PhD, you learn what you uh, you can and cannot answer. You know what you don't know. Yep, yep. Who, who, what, what people or what, like, where would you, where would you reference him uh, for this kind of question? I have no Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that question. I said, I love. So I said, sir, I said, dog, like, this is a, this is not like a guy I'm just randomly interviewing this one just tries to answer everything. Like, you know, as you've done research, you want to pay respect to every discipline. So you can't just throw out some random, <laughs> random, random things. And I know, <laughs> uh, B Vic, B Vic, he asked what he asked. He asked, he asked, he shot it out. What he say? He said, he said, what has been your toughest challenge um, amongst your endeavors, and why do you consider and on the with the challenge? Like, why do you say it was the toughest? And then he wanted he would like a story. He wanted just inside of work or outside of work. Inside of work. Let's make it inside of work. I think I would have rather outside of work, but um, we can do no. We can do outside of work. The biggest challenge I think is. To better invoke the change that you want to see is the access to capital in our community. We spend capital, we spend money, but we don't have it in a collective whole big enough to to better really make changes across wide impacting. Nah. You hit it on the head. And I think I was just talking to one of my friends. Uh shout out to uh shout out to Drew. He's also a bruh, Hampton, uh, Hampton bruh. And I think that's the biggest thing. We have a lot of ideas, we have a lot of natural talent, but in the, the day, that capital piece is so critical. 
Like where that, <laughs> that, that 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 is it. That 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 is the game. Like you can have all these great concepts, all this raw talent, but if you don't have the capital to, to keep it going, then it's just and it's really 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 tough. Um, and on that, because we we talked about NASA, we talked about Duke, we talked about all this, but what in the world? Like not what in the world, but like what changed? Over the last couple of years, I say, yo, I really want to give this cooking thing my undivided attention. Like, I really want to be specific and grow in that space because um, I know we have a, a huge show coming up. And this is something you've been working on the last couple of years. It's been in the lab, working on working on your craft, working on your craft, working on your craft. So as we enter this segment, like, when did it, when did it dawn on you? Because I know you already had another business that you that you were doing. But when did it say, yo, let me just start getting more serious with this cooking thing? So... It- it's funny as that. I've been cooking whole hogs all my life. People don't understand this. Like, this is not no four years ago type start. But it started back when I it started once I moved to New Orleans and I said, I'm gonna give I want I moved to New Orleans. I didn't see barbecue as I knew it. Um, I mean one of the lead, the biggest food cities in the country. And I didn't expect them to have barbecue, but I saw on the menu something called Carolina barbecue. And when I tasted it, it didn't taste like Carolina barbecue. So I said, this is not what I know Carolina barbecue to be. I want to be able to educate people on what is real Carolina barbecue. And from that, I entered this fundraising competition called Halls for the Cause, where they raised money for pediatric brain cancer. And people start saying, we got this rocket scientist pitmaster. And I like, I didn't think much about it. I like cooking hogs. That's what I did growing up. It was a part of me forever. But then doing involvement like that, I start looking at something at the landscape across this country. I said, barbecue, an article came out one time, they said the 15 most noted pit masters in the country. And they didn't have one black pit master in that list. Then a follow-up article came out and said, the earliest, the best known pit masters in this country, the well, not the best. The earliest pitmasters in this country was the slaves on the plantation. I start digging some more. I have a Ph.D., Greg. This is where I use the Ph.D. to do some research. I start doing research. I start seeing old pictures from the late 1800s saying how they cook pigs in the ground. I saw those images. Mm-hmm. I remember my father saying he used to cook pigs in the ground. He gave I, I went to give us a talk at Dillard University on the commercialization of pulled pork. And I asked him, when you cook the pig in the ground, I said, can you draw a sketch of that picture or that particular pit? When I saw that picture of that pit, I realized my father was cooking the same way, cooking barbecue the same way as those men on the plantation was cooking. Mm -hmm. And I, and I realized from that point forward that I had a responsibility to those unknown enslaved cooks on the plantation to make sure their story was told. Mm. Not how they cook barbecue, but make sure they understand that they was people who gave something to America when you look at the modern day barbecue landscape. And I encourage all viewers, all your listeners, just look at how barbecue is in this in their communities in the city. Who's the most popular barbecue restaurants in a given location? What who they look like? What's the demographics? Who who's in the back? Who's in the front? Just look at it mm. and form their own opinions. Don't go on my opinion. Go on mm. their own opinion. Mm. 
wow, man, I never thought that. I thought I never thought I'd be thinking that deep about um, barbecue. Like, man, now, now, hmm, makes me think. Makes me think. So, like, when when was it where you said, okay, starting to put it in the forefront? Because I know you have been doing it a long time. But when did you start? When did you make the decision to become more visible with it? Because I know you're very intentional about when you are visible with stuff and when you're not. So, when did you make a decision to say, yo, I'm, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm comfortable with sharing with other people that this is this is another side of me. So I I was trying to help in the community, Greg. I, I formed this thing called Ask Them NOLA. And I was trying to help underserved and at-risk kids, minorities and women, get exposed to STEM professionals. But one of the drawbacks with making that venture successful was I didn't have the capital. And then when I look at who had capital, what kind of platform they had to stand on to raise capital, like I didn't have that. But I had this thing with barbecue and being a a rocket scientist pitmaster that could possibly be a platform to do that and do more. And I, I should, I, I dissolved, asked them NOLA. We went through a social entrepreneurship incubator. I, I finished the program because I don't believe in quitting. I finished the program, but after the program was over, I said, from that point on my, my extra time outside of work, we've been committed. I'll be committed to this soccer on a whole hall barbecue. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very strategic where I go cook. I don't cook any and everywhere. It has to be something. And and it's not always about the money. I never made any money from cooking barbecue, to tell you the truth, Greg. Mm -hmm. Since I've been in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. I have spent money, but I haven't made money. Mm -hmm. Money may eventually come. And that's fine. And I'm going to take it. But. I invested a lot of time and capital on my own to make sure this goes out so people can see this in a genuine way. Mm, I love that, man. So, in a, but to also for myself, break down what it is cooking a whole like haul, like a whole pig. Like, what is that? What does that look like? Like, or what, like, what is it? What's the, how was the more so better question? What does the process and the preparation look like? And, and like to, to actually cook it. Cause I know you just wake up and like, okay, boom, let's go ahead and put the thing on the grill. Like, what does it look like? What's the preparation process? Hmm. Do you want the traditional answer or you want the, 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 how I'm cooking it now? Uh, you can go with how you're cooking it now. Okay. So I, I'm bypassing this all the slaughtering process I did years ago as a child. Mm-hmm. We bypass that. We go to, I go to a farmer because I like to know where my animals come from, mm-hmm. and because I know how they raise. How is that important? Why is that important yeah, right now? Why is that important to know where animals come from? You are what you eat. If that if that animal eat garbage, then you're eating that garbage. So if you know how the animal is being raised, you know how that what the animal's eating. You know what kind of life the animal's living. So we have we I buy a pig already slaughtered, and I know where the farm is coming from. We uh butterfly it, we spit the black bone, so we butterfly it out so it'd be nice and flat. And we put it on something called a pit. And whether it's made out of cinder blocks, sheet metal. And we just cook it low and slow for like 14 to 16 hours. And how long does the process take for gutting it and doing all that stuff, butterflying? Like, what is that? How's, and do you have to, once you do that, do you have to put in like refrigeration, put salt on yeah, it? Yeah, you have to put in refrigeration and stuff like that. That would probably take, 
about four hours. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of people to do that in four hours. How many people? Probably. Pro- you probably need four people because a pig has hair. So you have to remove the hair from the pig. Wow. That's probably the timeliest part of that process. You got to get the water hot to to actually kill to before you can kill a pig. You got to get the water to a certain temperature that you use you're going to use to dehair the pig. Mm-hmm. And then once you get that water to the right temperature, then you go and kill the pig. And then after that, you got to kill a pig real quick, get the blood out, and therefore you got to dump it in this water, and you got to get all this hair off, and you need people to pull this hair off because mm-hmm. you just can't shave this hair off because you'll leave hair inside the skin. Mm. So you have to pull all the hair off. Wow. Yes. I didn't. And then, so then that's, and then you cook it. And then how, like, so do you make your original season? Do you just cook the call? Like, what is the whole product? Like, do you, are you, are you creating actual barbecue or are you just cooking the pig? I'm creating barbecue. When I'm cooking the pig, like I, I season it and I season it. Um, I have a, we have a family secret how we season it. And, um, and then we have a family sauce recipe. And once once I finish with the hog, I do some things. It, I do some. I take the liberty to do things that really get the final product like I want to. Mm-hmm. Man, and it's an art form to that. You, it's really an art form to it. I don't use any thermometers or anything like that to get to my final product. But can you speak to that? Because uh, I know there's a lot of creatives, and I just always I'm always interested from a creative perspective, um, like the 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 intuition involved in it so how, for one how did you develop that intuition and then two like what does that look like because you don't need a thermometer like how do you know how do you know in my community people been cooking halls like this i'm saying from the plantation days so that's 200 years of experience mm-hmm. you pass those stories down and you pass those techniques down it's the same way with money if you put $100 in the bank from 200 years ago, you're going to get a certain return about in this present day. Mm-hmm. But then as an investor, I got to put my own time into that cooking process. I got to put my own experience into it. I got to put my own work. And you just kind of, after a while, you have, you have great teachers. Mm-hmm. But you got to make some mistakes for yourself. Because you don't learn until you make those mistakes. And I can just tell you from experience when the pig is done. Like I could, I use the human body as my judge of cooking. The pig smells a certain way. Once it get in a certain process of cooking, it it looks a certain way, and it feels a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you can't. It's one of those things you can't really write down or just easily tell you how to how that looks. Mm-hmm. You just got to be in the space and be a, be highly observant because I grabbed a lot of things and I hope the viewers me catch these nuggets as far as um, specifically like what the pig eats. That's kind of that goes into you like it's, it's the energy around it. That's really important. And then also the intentionality of the craft. I mean, I think the whole narrative of this podcast is one big thing that I took of it is that I really want to be more intentional about my conversations with people that are older than me, because I feel like throughout your journey. You've been around the John Ho Franklin's. You've been around your father. You've been around your great aunt. So many people um, along the way that have that you took the time to listen. Oh, I listen to the elders. You gotta listen to their experiences. And, and I'm like, yo, I don't listen enough. I, I don't listen. I, I I there's older people in my family 
that they could be adding so much value. Not just like I'm not talking about business and practical stuff. I'm just talking about life stuff. They can stuff for life. No, they know life. Everybody, like, yeah, if you not, if you, if you 70, you know life. So, I mean, that's, if that's one takeaway from this podcast for everybody that's listening to, especially if you have great, great grandparents or you have a mother, father, like, that's one thing I haven't done yet, but I would love to interview my mother and even my father, like, just, just talk to them, um, get their thoughts and opinions with different things. And that's one thing that I haven't really done. So that's one takeaway for all my viewers. Definitely email, not email, but uh, go ahead and interview your people and just and just ask those questions. And um, to, as we close this cooking round and almost transition to our last round, I do want to say, what can we expect from this television show? You can kind of give us a sneak, sneak peek. And then how did this all come together? Because this is a big, big deal. I'm t- this journey in life, I, won't, I can't give you any spoilers, but what I want to give your viewers, I want them to take this, whatever they see, and realize, do my I'm gonna be a vessel for you all to see what is a form of American barbecue that haven't been done in 50 years. And then when you see it, I want you to go back and look at how people did barbecue on the plantation. You can look at my Facebook profiles and my websites. You could you'll be able to make some correlations that what you saw was like I brought something back in its most authentic form from the beginning. In America. Wow. I won't say it's the beginning in the world, okay? Everybody cook meat around meat, fire, and roasting. But how it's been perfected in the United States, I believe the African Americans played a significant role in that development. Mm. Say no more. Remember, guys, Tuesday, right? 9 p.m. Tuesday. Cooking Channel, 9 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you check it freaking out. So, and that. I'm gonna honor one more thing. I'm gonna honor the places where I have lived, in this in the most authentic way because I live in certain places and I respect those cultures because they all have a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. 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 And also, I guess is we we got a couple questions for the future round before we we wrap it up with the culture change. Like what what do you what do you, where's the vision of all this? Like say five years out. I'm not sure if you're a big five year guy, but. Like, what is the vision of how to make it all make sense? Or does it need to make sense? I mean, rocket scientists, um, elite pit mastering, your, your brand is continuing to grow on that. Like, where, where does it, where does it meet? And like, where's the, where do you see your future? So I'm going to give you this an audience a sneak peek of what I'm planning to do next. This is exclusive because I know Greg Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm working on building a nonprofit out. I mean, I'm going to have a for-profit side of what I do, too. Of course. But I'm going to do a nonprofit side to leverage what – so I can better travel to these communities in isolated locations to share what I know. I won't say what I know, but just share some of my experiences. I want to show you that I'm human. But while doing that, I want to better develop this thing called capital mm-hmm. <laughs> to better help other people get where they want to go. And barbecue is one of the few things that historically have transcended races. Even during the racist days of American history, barbecue is one of those few things that you would see black and white people sit down together and talk. Mm-hmm. And it's a powerful tool. Uh, well, thank you for thank you for the sneak sneak peek. I'm excited what you got next, man. So as we trans, oh nope, we're not transitioning. 
at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, right? And I hate to get real morbid, but it's real. When it's all said and done, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? My last, I want my lasting legacy to be when I when I heard you say something about Jonathan McCoy looked up to me. I want people to remember the work that I have done, whether they've ever met me or not, and hopefully it changed their life for the better. Uh, when I hear people like Jonathan McCoy or Ishmael Sadur going on to get a PhD, and he said like I'm one of the reasons he went to get a PhD. Hearing you saying like I didn't know you, but you looked up to me just based on what you heard. I want things like that to remember. Uh, and I want to, and I want to leave America with something that they always have. They can put their hands on, whether it's a book. I want them to understand barbecue. I want them to understand who had a role in barbecue. So I'm gonna write it down so they could document it. So they have it. Mm. I want something to live beyond me and I want people to become better than me. Mm. I always told you, I want you to be better than me. I want you to be Howard Conyers. You don't have to be Howard Conyers. I want you to be better than Howard Conyers. Mm. That's real, man. That's real. It's received and respected, man. So as we always do, it's a culture change round where I ask a series of five rapid fire questions and I get five rapid fire answers. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. What's the best piece of advice that you have never received? That I never received. Boy, you got some questions, yeah. man. <laughs> I had to, I had to switch it up a little bit because I ever see that's easy, man. I just and this is your chance to jump on your little uh, footstool to be like, hey, this is this is it. This is this is hey, calling everybody here. It is. This the, is the, the quote. best piece of advice I never received is understanding your past. Why is it important to understand your past and where you come from? I went out and did it on my own. But I think more people need to understand their past and their family's past, their community's past. That's real. That's received, man. Hope, hope, I hope y'all receiving this. If you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? I wish I read more. I read a lot now. If I could take away a habit. No, two habits I wanted to see. I want to read more and I want to get in better physical health. Like I'm starting to run more mm-hmm. because I realize your body is your greatest asset. Mm-hmm. And a habit I can take away, I wish that I can. I just wish that I was, Um, I don't know. I don't, the habits I have, the only bad habit, I wish I could get rid of social media sometimes. Are <laughs> <laughs> you a rocket scientist? I can't imagine you just scrolling on Facebook. <laughs> Maybe do we do we give do we give uh, rocket science too much credit? You give rocket science too much credit. <laughs> what is the what is your favorite book and why? That's another toughie because I know you. I mean, of course, if you do, you you've probably read a lot, a lot of different things. So, I mean, you can get give me a couple. I'm gonna give you my favorite book right now: Racial Equality in America by John Hope Franklin. Everybody in America need to read that book. Okay. It's a short read. Again, that book is called Racial Equality in America by John, Dr. John Hope Franklin. It it's be, so relevant. It will be in the show notes. We definitely going to make sure we, we get that. Uh, what is your biggest fear? 
My biggest fear is I don't like to fail. I like to do everything I got I set out to do. You don't have enough time in the day, but I don't want to fail. But you got to fail at some point at some things. You can't be perfect. Mm-hmm. Nah, you hit on the head. You hit that on the head. Um, and if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? Right now, I'll just try to bring people together. We have to bring people together because people is our greatest resource in America. If we don't work together as people, then what do we have? Say no more. That's 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 succinct. So our last question and this uh, culture change round was phenomenal. We wrapped that up. Our last question of the podcast. I call everybody that comes on the show a culture change agent. And this question is specifically for our African-American culture. And it says, if you can change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? I think we need to celebrate and own our culture. We need to we need to really fundamentally understand who we are as a people. And as African-Americans, we have to understand. I'm going to be deep on this one, Greg. We have to understand we are divinely inspired people. We are the strongest of the strongest to become on here, come here through the Middle Passage, survive the plantation culture. And still living and build a country upon our knowledge. We didn't we didn't have a blueprint to say how to grow rice. We already knew how to grow rice when they brought us from Africa. So we have to celebrate and understand why we are so. Divinely divinely inspired people. Man, you, you may have to let that sit into you. I mean, Greg, honestly, you have to let that sit in and think about it. Yeah, no, nah, there's a lot of stuff. And I'm glad the narrative and the way the way this podcast was, was done today, man. It just there's a lot of stuff that you really just gotta meditate on, man, because there was so many underturns as far as um the culture, understanding the past, really taking that time to talk to your loved ones, talk to ones that um and then the the process of trying to be around the best people you can be because and we didn't talk about it on this podcast because I mean, just for for time and brevity is concerned. But you just want to be around the best, like want to position yourself to be around the best. Like I know you've I've encountered across your academic journey and definitely across your culinary journey, um, the effect of when you're around elite, high level people and what you can learn from and what you can grow, but also too how you can position yourself. And I think we talked about it, how you have positioned yourself to be in these spaces. And now, yeah, no, I definitely like to be around the best people. Like, honestly, like my, I've been around some of the best people growing up cooking. But like now I'm, I like to be around some of the best people to see what they do. They want to see what I can do, but I want to see what you can do. Mm-hmm. I can do things that a lot of people can't do, Greg. I understand that. But I want to be around the best people and they want to know more about how to get in contact with higher clients. Make sure they go to my website. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, we, we right. Hey, my name is Trouble as a Nation. First of all, uh, Dr. Conyers, man, where can we find you online? Show us where can we find you online and find out more about what you do, support, and all that. The good best stuff. place to find about me online now is howardconyers.com. 
Again, that's howardconyers.com. And I'm pretty sure Greg will send it in his link, but it's H-O-W-A-R-D-C-O-N-Y-E-R-S.com. Yep, you already know. That's all that's going to be in the show notes, including um, the link to the website, as well as books and all that good stuff. So, man, Dr. Conyers, man, it's been a phenomenal pleasure to kind of just go on this journey from from the conception to now, man. I know we couldn't touch everything, but I think we touched enough. And I got a lot of stuff that cats can really meditate on as we go into Father's Day, as we go into the rest of 2017, and most importantly, as we go on our journey to become culture change agent so everybody man thank you so so much for tuning into another episode special episode make sure this tuesday 9 p.m eastern you're watching the cook channel he's gonna be on debuting some brand new stuff to really emphasize the culture where barbecue really comes from from our own unique perspective so be on the lookout for that thank you again and make sure make sure you leave a review make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and make sure you are living and changing the freaking culture. Good night.